Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. I want to talk a few minutes about um, St. Ursula. You don't know who St. Ursula is probably, but she was a third century Christian woman who really came into her own, well, actually she was uh, killed by Attila the Hun. That's her claim to fame, I guess. Uh, if you know uh, any of that early history there in, in Eastern Europe and who the Huns were and who Attila was. Anyway, um, she was killed in the third, third century by Attila. <clears throat> and um, later, uh, right after the Reformation, and the reason Protestants don't have a lot of uh, connection to um, Ursula or Saint Be- Saint Benedict um, is because it was wasn't until the fifteenth sixteenth century in fifteen thirty seven when um, the whole Ursuline nuns thing began, and this has relevance to us, of course, uh, because of the property that we're buying, and um, it was her order of nuns. Um, that uh, dedicated themselves to one thing primarily, and that was establishing places of education, especially for young girls. And back in the 1500s, that was a big deal. So that's, that's it's, it's important, and she's to be remembered for that. And the nuns that dedicated their lives to educating young women as well, <clears throat> and throughout Europe and then into the uh, West here in the United States particularly. And so um, when you're going to buy a piece of property like we've done, which is Ursuline Academy, and I, I, I want to know a little bit about that. And so I went back into the records and I couldn't find anything from when the school started, but I did find the 50th Jubilee, which is the, the 50th anniversary of the dedication of Ursuline Academy. So this was 50 years after it had started. They published something, uh, and that was in 1909. So 50 years before 1909 is when Ursuline Academy began. Uh, So this document that I'm going to read to you from, you have to remember, was 1909. That was written before World War I, written before World War II, written before the Great Depression. The school saw a lot of history. And so uh, this is their 50th anniversary. They're recounting the actual beginning of the school back on the 18th of August, 1857. So I don't know if you're a big history buff, but you have to know some of these things because it's important. 1857 is prior to the Civil War. 1857 is when Abraham Lincoln lived in this town, Worked in a law office down there by the old capital. Hendon was his partner. And Hendon sent his kids to that school. That's how old the school is. Before the Civil War, before Lincoln was assassinated, this school stood. And so these nuns, five of them, they traveled here from um, Cincinnati uh, into the capital city of the great prairie state of Illinois, having received the parting blessing of the archbishop from Cincinnati. 
quoting him, rich only in their courage. In other words, we're not giving you any money. That's what that's a phrase for. (laughs) Rich only in their courage, high purpose in God's blessing, they faced an unknown field of labor. These five nuns set out from Cincinnati to Springfield, Illinois before the Civil War. They made no delay for God through the voice of their superior called them to Springfield, Illinois, and they were lovely, eager. They were lovingly eager to obey the summons to labor for God and to spread of his kingdom on earth are the joy and the privilege of those who can fully appreciate, who have dedicated their unto every physical and intellectual faculty of their being. This was those nuns. So on August 21st, 1857, those nuns set foot in the capital city. In fact, uh, they stayed the night in the Nicholas Hotel. I mean, there's a lot of history, and I've, and I've uh, this is an abridged edition. To begin their training center for the king. With a grateful sigh of relief, they prayed, quote, Here, O Lord, is the place of my abode. I shall remain peacefully herein because thou hast chosen it for me. From that moment till the day of their death, those precious believers loved Springfield and were always deeply interested in any movement that tended towards its progress. From the beginning, upon the opening of the day school, the covenant was crowded with pupils desirous of learning the things of God, at one time as high as 3,500 people in a little town of Springfield in 1860. That was in 1857, 165 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. That's a long time. And so I have a verse that I would like to declare to be our verse of destiny at this new location. And it's found in Isaiah. You can turn there or we'll put it on the screen. It's chapter 58, verse number 12. It says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age old foundations. And you will be called repairer of the broken wall. King James, repair of the breach. Restorer of streets with dwellings. Ladies and gentlemen, this is us. This is our new location at 1425 North 6th Street. And it will soon be our new home. And we're getting very close to moving there. In 1857, Ursuline Academy was first all girls. It wasn't co-ed until the 1980s. In fact, if you've been around Springfield at all and you tell them, oh, we're, we're, going, we're, gonna, we're moving to the, uh, Benedictine University, they're going to go, where? Because Benedictine University didn't take it over until 2009. Everyone knows Ursuline Academy, if you've been in Springfield at any time, and you may know someone who has graduated from Ursuline because it went co-ed back in the 80s, or Springfield College jumped in there, junior college, Springfield College uh, back in the day as well. A report from the SGR, SJR, the State Journal Register, here in town reads, enrollment did not rise. This is after the purchase in 2009 by Benedictine. Enrollment did not rise, and it was estimated that, and we can really appreciate this, that $40 million in major capital improvements will be needed to make the buildings competitive with other institutions. So they bought it and said, it's going to take $40 million to do this. And so they began to shrink the university. And, and in fact, um, 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 it got smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, they used less and less of the facility. Benedictine deemed that number was unable, uh, there was unattainable and continued operation was unsustainable. And in the fall of 2016, Benedictine University, Illinois closed its doors for good. Or did it? 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. So for nearly six years, that building has sat empty, decaying, rotting, in ruins, filled with mold. I remember, uh, uh, where's Pam? Pam. Pam and Bill were, uh, Pam was, uh, Bill still is on the deacon board back in the day. This is three and a half years ago when we were looking at the whole thing. We walked, we were walking the campus. I had taken them there and opened the door of, of one particular building and, and Pam goes, I'm not even going in there, man. <laughs> That's how bad the place, that's how bad the place smelled. Uh, the raccoons uh, lived there and, and did their thing there. Um, as recently as a couple months ago, there's still groundhogs living under the, the sidewalk. I think they've been moved elsewhere. The place literally falling down is becoming a, a health hazard, hazard applied on the neighborhood. A hangout for vandals. Um, for drug dealers, and if you know anything about the history of Springfield, and when I say Pillsbury, um, you, you would know that that's not a, a, a good name here in town because of the decaying Pillsbury plant, and they were concerned it would become a Pillsbury 2.0 with all the problems that were there. Well, then, <clears throat> we were just newly into this building, and uh, we had just spent a year at the KC Hall, um, this church facility, our, our church body, we're now four years old. So we spent three years here. And so even when I was looking for this place, Benedictine came on, uh, Ursuline Academy came on my radar. And I began looking to see that this might be a place where we could call our new home. And so it was on Tuesday evening. I remember distinctly, it was after dinner. I told Cheryl I was going to go to the campus um, and pray and it was July 16th at 6.08 p.m. that I was walking around the campus and I stood in front of what is the gymnasium now to be our sanctuary. And there's some mosaic tiles uh, that are decaying and falling off the front of the building. And I bent over and picked one up. And um, as is my nature, I, I, I put dates and times on things to remember and so I, I have this tile in my hand dated uh, 7 19 at 6.08 p.m. Uh, when the Lord gave me a vision and a mandate to repair it. I didn't know what I was going to put there, but I needed to fix this place. I needed to repair the breach, to repair the broken walls. And what it will still be is still uh, in God's hands it will come back to life and it will be to the glory of God and it will be to instruct and to train and to teach as it was dedicated 165 years ago. So it has not lost its purpose because God is the repairer of broken walls as much as he is broken relationships and broken families. So God has given me that vision to reestablish what was begun 165 years ago. Now, <clears throat> it hasn't been all roses since July 16th of, of 19. A lot has happened since July of 19. Lots of ups and downs, lots of prayer, 
lots of planning, lots of walking, lots of meetings, lots and lots of disappointments. Um, I've been lied to, promises have been broken, permits attained, delay, 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 meeting with the mayor, meeting with the city attorney, meeting with the city alderman for that area, then inspections, then more inspections, then engineers, then architects, then contractors, then vandalism, and it goes on and on and on. But when you know that you know God has told you something, those are just distractions. They're just distractions. They're just, they just make you uncomfortable. They don't kill you. I remember watching a, this is a side note. I remember watching a, a documentary about army snipers and what they would put them through in like a bathtub full of ice and they'd have to be trained on the target and they would slow their breath down and they'd have to learn to squeeze the trigger between the beats of their heart. Just intense, intense documentary. Um, and one phrase that I remember distinctly from that comment, from that documentary was th- one of the Rangers. He said, you just tell yourself, I'm not dead. I'm just uncomfortable. I'm just uncomfortable. I'm extremely uncomfortable, but I'm not dead. And so when you have a vision, when you, God says, this is going to happen, do you think, it's, do you think you're going to be untested in that journey? And those things that come your way, they're not unto death. They're discomfort. Some of them are very uncomfortable. There are delays and delays and lies and hurts and whatever. But if you just stay the course... You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep walking. Control your breathing. Don't freak out. You know, the chicken, the proverbial chicken that's just had its head cut off running around the yard, spurting blood. No, that's not us. This is not us. This is not you and your circumstance. Because you know whom you have believed. And I am persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, things past, things present, things to come, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is the will of God for your life. So this is why before you start on a journey, before you lay your hand to do something, you must always know that you know, that you know he has told you, because then there is not anything that will keep you from that purpose, right? Right, So, so this is where, this is where this church body is in, in this process. And, and, and believe me, we're not done weathering storms. I mean, there's things that you know are going to be problematic. And then there's things that people tell you that are going to be problematic. But the thing that always scares you or catches you unaware is the thing that you didn't know. Well, I had no idea that was going. Well, God knew. When he gave you the plan before, he's just enlightened you now because if he would have told you back then, you would have never started the journey. So we press on, right? No fear. Knowing that God is with us, we pressed on. But I mean, pastor, why, why, why go through all the headache? Why not just settle down, calm down, be satisfied? Why this building? Well, first of all, I want to tell you, it's never been about a building for me. If it would have been, we would have never been in the KC Hall, (laughs) right? What we're about is the mission, not the building. 
The building is simply a tool, and in this case, a larger tool to better accomplish the mission. What is the mission? There's a vision, there's a goal, there's a process. There always has been. The vision, win souls, make disciples. The goal is to have everybody involved in that. None of you get to be bystanders. None of you get to, none of you, get to you know, kick your feet up in the lazy boy and say, choke him, pastor, choke him. Choke him, pastor, choke him. That, that's, that's not acceptable behavior. But there is a process because, if you, because I would think that most churches, most churches that really love Jesus, they would have a goal. They want to win souls and make disciples. They have a vision. They want everybody to do it. But unless you have a process, unless you have a way to see that the vision and the goal come to pass, you just, you're just wishing. It's been pie in the sky until there's a process. Show me the process. One of the best processes on the face of the earth is found when the, riddle, the little red light at Krispy Kreme Donuts lights up and you pull off the road, and you pull in there, and like a third grader, you smash your face against the glass, and you watch dough splot, and then it goes in the grease, and then it gets flipped over, and then it gets rained on by white icing, and then comes up and then gets packaged, and you get one. But if you don't front load the process with raw, sticky dough, you'll never have a hot donut at the end. Everything takes a process. And so the process for us, in case you haven't noticed, it's on the wall every Sunday when you come here. To live, connect, and to grow and go. That's what we do. To come alive in Christ. Get connected to one another. To grow up in our growth track. And then go replicate yourself. Go do that someplace else. Because if what we do is only for inside these walls, we've missed, we've missed what the church is supposed to be about, ladies and gentlemen. Right? We already know. The world doesn't know. And so it's for us to share the good news. So <clears throat> what does it take to get that done? Here's the phrase, and it, was, it would be worth listening to closely. Here's what it takes to get it done. It takes believers who are fearless because they know that God is with them. You're fearless not because you're stupid, you know, oh, let me lick my finger and stick it in the light socket. That's not what we're talking about, making dumb decisions. No, when you, have, when you have the mind of God, when you have the will of God, when you have the purpose of God, and you say, God says, go do that. Listen, here's what I want you to really, really, really understand. Not just about this process of Destiny Church, but about your life. This is one of the things I live by, is once you get a hold of whatever it is that God's told you that you need to do, then you do it. That means that if you're faithful to do every day what he's asked you to do, that even if it falls apart, then you know, it's not my bad. I did everything I was told to do. Because we automatically assume that everything you put your hand to do, you're actually gonna, let's say you're gonna do it till the very end to the bitter end. But you know what? God does redirect your life midstream sometimes. Good thing for Isaac, because Abraham took him to the top of Mount Moriah. Well, no, God, you told me. Listen, Abraham, thank you. You were faithful to this point. Now let's, let's redirect ourselves, right? So you just keep doing, you keep doing, and this is why we have to have a living word spoken to us. We go to the Bible. We understand who he is. We have fresh revelation every day. Does that make sense? Okay. So <clears throat> one of the best examples, by the way, I'd like to pass this around. Charlie, take my little, my little tile, would you? I want people to be able to touch that. 
how long has this taken? Well, Pastor, I mean, I actually, we began three and a half years ago, a long time ago. We had just moved into this building and I'm already looking for another building. Because <clears throat> I know that God had a place for us. And so three and a half years ago, we began this, we began this journey and uh, lot, lots and lots of ups and downs three and a half years ago. How long is it gonna take? Well, we wanna be in there as, as soon as possible. We're done paying rent. I don't wanna pay rent anymore as the end of February. So wherever we're at, at the end of February, you may be bringing lawn chairs to have church in the new building, but I don't wanna pay another month's rent here for the month of March. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Stay tuned for more information. But Nehemiah, <clears throat> who's a prophet in the Old Testament, got a word from the Lord, which was go rebuild, is what we're talking about, restoration, rebuilding. He's, the Lord told Nehemiah, go rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah said, we'll do it. How long did he need? It only took him 52 days. A miracle, 52 days. But I don't think he just showed up with, okay, well, here we go. No, I think there was some planning that happened. I think it was some preparation that happened. He had a vision, he had a goal, but he needed a process to get it done. And so we see that um, it's part of the plan. Our team, the Destiny team here, we've had hours and hours of planning and prayer and legwork to the rebuilding, the restoration of this property. From the architectural team to the pastoral team to the custodial team, all of you who've been there, We've had thousands of hours combined already that have preceded the day that we stand at now. And so we're on the edge <clears throat> of what I see to be a great victory. But you have to understand that it, here's another hallmark chunk of life theology that any victory you ever achieve only buys you an admission ticket to a more challenging opportunity. If you think because you've got victory, hey, we're on easy street, you're sadly mistaken as to what this Christian life is all about. So, oh man, we got the victory. Yeah, you got the victory. You can have your victory dance and we will have a victory dance. But then you, but you better settle in because then there's something else. What is that, Pastor? I don't know. But to be forewarned, We'll, we will never rest on our laurels. We will never say that's good enough. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that for us. There's still more, to, more people to hear the good news, amen? So what was Nehemiah's plan? I, I see it to be twofold. Number one, he discovered it was God's plan and then he empowered and he mobilized God's people. God's plan plus our best efforts always will rebuild the walls. For Nehemiah, it was God's will, the balls should be repaired. Huge job, huge task. Rebuilding the wall around a city cannot be easy. But he had believers who were fearless. Why were they fearless? Because they knew that God was with them. I mean, when you know that God is with you, not only do you have the power, but you have the authority. I give you my keys and I say, would you please go to my car and get my wallet or go get my, my, my pen or whatever? Go, go, go get my keys out of my car, Joni, would you get, and I give you my keys and you head out there. I've given you the power to do it. You approach my car and someone says, hey, what are you doing by pastor's car? So I, well, I have the key. Well, so what? You got the key. You probably stole the key. No, I also have the authority. Pastor said, 
I have the right to do this. See, God has given you the power and the authority to get these things done. That's what Nehemiah had, and he had a bunch of people. But here's the thing that I thought about as I unpacked all of this in my mind to, to talk to you today. Was it God's will that the wall of, of, of Jerusalem should be rebuilt in Nehemiah chapter, well, the whole book, but chapter three in particular? Absolutely. But just because it was God's will didn't mean it happened. You know that God's will gets interdicted quite often, gets cut off quite often. Why? Because of the human delivery system. It's God's will that all should be saved, but not everybody gets saved. Why is that? Well, there was somebody that you probably should have shared your faith with and that you didn't. That's, that's on us. That's not God's bad. It's God's will that none should perish. So that means that God's will sometimes doesn't get accomplished unless God's people who are called by his name have the power and the authority step up and say, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but he said to do it, so I'm going to go do it. That's what it takes. It takes your willingness to look foolish. Because if you're self-consumed with self-preservation, you'll never, you'll never do anything great in your life. Not just great for God. You'll never do anything great in your life. Because, you, oh, I'll be embarrassed if that doesn't work or if it fails. Charlie, you can just let them have that and let it pass. It'll never happen. So you need to say, listen, I, I am already dead. I am crucified with Christ. What you think about me doesn't hurt my feelings because I, I died. I just have to be faithful to do what he told me to do. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. I am a slave of love. I used to be a slave of darkness, but now to the best of my abilities, I kick against the goads, but to the best of my ability, I strive to, to surrender to his will every morning. You don't do it well all the time, and neither do I, but that because it is our heart to do that, there is then grace for us. It's God's will that the prophets of Baal get defeated. On top of Mount Carmel. It was God's will that the prophets of Baal get defeated. But it took Elijah stepping up and saying, I'm, he told me I'm going to give this a try. And let's, you know, with God who answers by fire? Really? That's what you want me to tell him? The God who answers by fire? See, it was God's will for Israel to be delivered out of Egypt. But it took Moses standing up to Pharaoh and saying, I can't be in your courts anymore. There's deliverance that needs to be in your house, but you're still slave to Pharaoh and afraid to stand up to Pharaoh. Okay, that was a little preachy, I granted. <laughs> it was God's will that Nineveh should be delivered, but it took Jonah to get the job done. It was God's will that the lame man be healed, but it took four of his friends to rip open the top of a roof to lower them down. Are you beginning to pick this up? It's God's will, but it's going to take you being the hand in the glove of who God is in the world around you. Oh, I wish there would be a miracle. You are the miracle for someone else's dream, for someone else's prayer. 
When you step up and you say, God, I'm gonna, I gotta do this, even if I look foolish or I look stupid, God's gonna go, oh, you're a candidate then. It's God's will the children of Israel should cross the Jordan. But it took Joshua and Caleb saying, I know the 10 of them, it would be so easy for us to agree with the majority, the other 10 that say we can't do this. But Joshua and Caleb said, God, God showed us we can do this. So this is what we should do. Aren't you glad it wasn't a majority vote that day? Isaiah 58, 12, write it down, underline it. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will build up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken wall. Who? People who are fearless. Why? Because they know God is with them, has given them the power and the authority to step out and to be the hands that get calloused and the feet that get blistered. Nobody enjoys getting calluses. Ask anyone who's ever wanted to learn to play the guitar. Most give up after a day. Because the first day goes real well, but you come back the next day and now your fingers are really, really tender. Because it hurts your fingers so bad. No, you're not dead. You're just uncomfortable. On the smallest micro scale, you're not dead, you're just uncomfortable. So do you have the vision to do what needs to be done? Or was it just a wish and a pie in the sky dream and think it'd be cool? But now translate that into your spiritual life. Translate it into raising your children. It's not easy raising children. Why? Because parenting is full time. You don't, get off, you, know, you don't get an evening off because Joey decides, Tommy decides, Lisa, whatever, decides to be a rat that night. Like, ah, no, 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 you have to be a parent all the time. That's why parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Why? Because it's not about you. Remember how badly you wanted to be with him and how badly you wanted to be with her? And then you finally got him. You go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with him? I got him now. This is terrible. <laughs> right? It was all, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. Now, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? What you, see, selfishness just. So how did Nehemiah do it? Well, he cut the task into pieces. I don't have time to show you, uh, but in Nehemiah chapter three, I strongly suggest that you go there because what it does, it talks about, he divided down, of course, I don't know if you're aware, but the walls of Jerusalem have gates in them and each gate has a particular name. And so he assigned families by clans, by, by lineage. And he said, okay, this family, this clan, you guys, you have between this gate and this gate, take care of that. And between you guys, between you and you, you have this portion of the wall. And between you and you, you had, he had a plan. He had a process. Now, hey, let's go build the wall. Hey, who's got the 12 pack? Let's go build a wall for Jesus. That's not how it worked. Right? Let's just slap it together. Little duct tape and whatever. That's not how it works. Well, I don't like being told what to do. Well, do you want to build a wall or do you just want to have a party? Well, who made you the boss? Somebody has to be the boss. And it so happens God picked me for this place in this time. Listen, you're not going to like everything about me. I may not like everything about you, to be honest. Can we just be honest? Right? 
I may not like everything, but you may not. But listen, we're on a team. You may not like the shortstop being the, the catcher, and the catcher may not like the left field. Listen, but we, we're in this together, and we have a vision, when we have a goal, and we have a process. So this is what we're doing. We're, we're about this. And the same goes for your, for, for your life, whatever it is that you're about. Have the vision, have the goal, but then figure out what's the next thing. What's just, not the 27th thing, what's just the next thing? My wife and I, we, we have many decisions to make in our life quite often, and, and, and sometimes she wants to get a little bit, I'm not talking too much out of school, but she gets a little bit further, what about if and what about if? I said, well, we don't know the if. I am not going to invest my mental energy into a list of things that may or may not happen. Once I have all the information, then I can make a decision, then we'll make the decision, and then we'll move forward with purpose. We'll get, we'll get a word from the Lord on that. So we're, we're good for each other that way. She gets me a little more, she gets me a little more, uh, you know, thinking about those types of things where I'm like, listen, I don't have that piece of information. I can't make the decision. So I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. I sleep, I'll just tell you right now, I sleep awesome. <laughs> I can't tell you more than a handful of times in my entire 32 years of, of ministry where I've stayed up night toiling and worried. Worry does not affect me. From my lips to God's ears, worry does not affect me because I know whose hand I sit in. So look at, look at the process that he had. It's a strategy. What did it take? I'll tell you what it took. It took believers who were fearless. Why? Because they knew God was with them. They had the power and the authority to do it. Now, some of you have been on a mission trip with me before, particularly in building. I look around and see many of you have been on that. If you haven't, and I think about, I think about Daryl, because <laughs> Daryl's awesome. The first time I ever uh, took, Daryl and I went on a trip together. Um, it was great. Daryl hops, hops out of the van and Daryl just wants to do everything, you know. He just, he wants to make, and there's just so much to do. I mean, the plan's been made. So you're hauling sand and you're sifting rocks out of sand. You don't have power anything so you're turning mud by hand they call it mescala and uh and then some people are stacking bricks and and i mean it, it it's 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 chaos isn't it just full it's just full chaos everybody's just seems to be and then after a day or two everybody kind of settles in and, and we have a routine and you're doing that and i'm working with you and and you're working with me and and i grant i do not the older i get the less i like heights I don't know what that is, whether the fluid in my ear is, is old. I need, I need new fluid in my ears. When I was young, I didn't, I didn't care. But when I was older, I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is wobbly up here. I put the young ones up there. And uh, so, I, you know, a lot of times I'll just, I'll, I'll prep and I'll, and I'll put mud on, on cinder block and I'll hand it up and, and we're going about it. But here's the deal. When you go on a mission trip, from the very tip of it, where you're raising money to go and you're getting your airline tickets, all the way to the very last dinner, the very last night, what do you guys do? Oh man, we built this church. Or we built a parsonage. Generally, we build churches or we build parsonage for pastors. That's what the response would be. But people without vision, and, and, and my, my experience is that everyone who goes on these trips catches the vision. Because if you didn't have the vision, you know what you did? What did you do on your mission trip? Oh, I mixed sand. I turned mud. What did you do on your mission trip? Oh, I just handed blocks all week long. That's all I did. No. You ask someone who has no vision, what did you do? Uh, I just mixed cement all week. 
Somebody with a little bit of vision, oh, I built a wall. You ask somebody that has the vision, man, we built a church. Do you understand the difference? It's not the difference in the job. It's the difference what's between your ears, your mentality. What are you about? Oh, I'm going to go over to the campus and we're going to scrub floor. No, man, we're, we're building a training center. That's what we're doing. So when you're painting a wall, you're wiping a window, or you're cleaning a window, or you're fixing a brick, or (laughs) I learned how to plaster two weeks ago. I never plastered anything. What was I doing? Was I plastering the ceiling? No, I was building a training center for Jesus. That's what I, I was rebuilding. I was restoring the ancient ruins. That's somebody that has the vision. So the same for you when you're washing your husband's clothes or fixing a dinner for the kids. What are you doing? I'm raising a godly family. That's what I'm doing. I'm serving my wife. That's what I'm doing. I'm loving my community. That's what I'm doing. When you roll down your window next to a cop car and you tell them, hey, thanks for a good job. What are you doing? You're building up your community. That's not sappy. That's the truth. Proverbs 29, 18 says in the King James, where there's no vision, people perish. Are you just laying a brick for Jesus? Are you building a wall for Jesus? Are you building a church? Well, I'll tell you what, I take great comfort in the fact that I don't build the church. God says, I'll build the church, right? right. That's, you got to remember that. We don't build a church. God already built his church. The foundation is Jesus. So we take care of people. Well, what programs do you have at your church? Listen, I understand, I understand the question. But listen, if people are your programs, programs will birth themselves. Otherwise, you end up with some sort of sacred cow that has to be sustained that's a little bit of pastoral theology there for you, but, but it, 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 is, it is not the norm, um, unfortunately. So it takes people who have the same vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Whether it's carrying a brick or laying a brick or building, it took people the same vision. Everyone in Nehemiah's day, they were there to build the wall. No matter what their job was, that's what they were doing. And so that's what it took and what it will take to have a vision to rebuild the dream of those five nuns that took that land and turned it into a training center for Jesus. Whether it's washing windows or scrubbing floors, laying carpet, praying or giving, we have the same mission. And that mission is to lift up Jesus. It's to lift up Jesus. We are the building. We are the church. And rebuilding these walls for the Lord's renown, not our own, is what matters. It doesn't matter how mundane the job is. We're not building a country club. We're not building, we're building a ministry center. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be nice. But it's not going to have imparted, imported marble from Italy. I built a brand new building. I know what it takes to build a brand new building. It's nice when all the doorknobs are work well and all the doors shut wonderfully. And, um, that's not what this is. This is an old building. 
But I'll tell you what, she's got some beautiful bones. And she has somebody that loves her and takes care of her right now. And she's coming back to life. It's beautiful. I, I need you to understand that, that, that you, as each of these people in Nehemiah's day, were an important piece of the puzzle. Your activity, your scrubbing floor, your rebuilding drywall, and sanding, and painting, and leaf raking, and praying. It, it all may seem like just moving sand to you, but it's not. It's not. It's so much bigger than that. Every brick was important in that wall. So what's going to take over the next six weeks? It's going to take the same thing it took in Nehemiah's day. Fearless people who know that God is with them because they have the power and the authority to accomplish the vision and the goal. They wanted a miracle, so they prayed and they worked. There's a place for all of us. So many of you have stepped up in some tremendous ways already. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, there's more to be done. And, and I'm, I'm always, I want to be the encourager and say thank you for all of that. Um, but there's more, there's always going to be something to do. And just that real, realization should put peace in your heart, not anxiety. Because what we're about is a marathon, not a sprint. Because there's never going to be a day when I go, hey, it's done. If you're looking for that sermon, it happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary when Jesus says it's finished. So in the meantime, we're just going to keep on keeping on. So if you're looking for something to do, I have a few suggestions. First of all, uh, if you're interested in being a member of this assembly of Fellowship Believers, there's a, a membership information on the information table in the back where Chuck and Christine are not today because they're homesick, so pray for them. Um, but there's information back there at the information center on how to become a member if you're interested. And let me just say this about that. If you love Jesus, <laughs> this is very unusual, so listen closely. If you love Jesus, you're a member of the church. Now, if you want to be a member of this fellowship, that's something else. We don't promote church membership except go get saved, give your life to Jesus, and then when you give your life to Jesus, you're part of the church. That's <laughs> Some of you look at me like, what are you talking about? When you give your life to Jesus, you become a part of the church. Church, capital C, the body of Christ. Now, if you want to be part of what destiny is, you're more than welcome to do that, and that information's on the back. Well, I don't want to become a member of Destiny. Don't. <laughs> and keep coming. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. It doesn't really hurt my feelings at all. Uh, so do that. Go on Encounter. They're coming up in April. Uh, join a team. We have lots and lots of teams around here because it takes a team to get it done. They have the media team, lights and sound and video and TV and camera operators. We have the safety team, the custodial team, the worship team. We have the hospitality team, like the coffee and the cafe, so forth. Uh, we have a new lounge area in the new building, which would be nice to be part of that. Discipleship team, education, teaching team, destiny kids, destiny teens, destiny men, destiny women, connect groups or connect teams, leading one of those, prayer team, every other Wednesday night, Sunday morning before church, and uh, 
um, during church. We're starting a new team called the First Impressions Team. Some of you may be already aware of that. That on any given Sunday in particular, we're needing, listen, 60 people willing to be served, to serve. 60 people in those, all those different areas. 60. You don't think about that, right? But on a given Sunday right now, it takes about 30 people to run this place. From greeters, ushers, sound, lights, cameras, all that kind of stuff. And so this is your opportunity to step up and do something, be involved in that. Uh, D.L. Moody, <clears throat> he was born back in the 1830s. Uh, you may know him from the publishing and the, the, the Fellowship of Chicago. He, he's a, a big local boy. Um, he said this, um, a great many people, this is a quote, a great many people have got a false idea about the church. They have an idea that the church is a place to rest in, to get into nicely cushioned pews and to contribute to charities, listen to the minister and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy. <clears throat> That's all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church never enters their mind. And uh, I see this sometimes, not so much here, but the analogy I like to remind us is that we're a boat. We're a boat, not, not a cruise ship, Right? On a cruise ship, you're a passenger. On a boat, you're a worker. I have a responsibility. That's my sail. That's my rope. That's, that's what I do. I, I mop that floor because I'm a sailor. I'm not a cruiser. We don't stay in our cabins and isolate ourselves like on a cruise ship. No, we mingle meals and recreation. Cruise ship, I don't know if you've seen a cruise ship lately, but they are primarily built for entertainment. I mean, you can rock climb, you can surf. I mean, you can ice skate in the Caribbean on the stern of a cruise ship. It's entertainment. I'm not here to entertain you. Listen, I... I, I I have no problem making sometimes what I say entertaining so that you'll remember it, but I'm not here to entertain you. There are some who are inclined to entertain and not educate. I'm here to educate you. I'm here not just to step on your toes, but in your entire foot should it be sticking out. And I'll do it in love. I'll do it in love. I'll not do it I'll not do it as a red-faced, finger-pointing preacher. I'll do it out of compassion because at one time, my foot was stuck out too. And guess what? My toe and my foot may still be sticking out in some areas. And I get it stepped on by some of you say, Pastor, how come you talk to that person like that? Then I have to say, oh, maybe I'll, that was a bit harsh, wasn't it? This is the conversation I have with my wife. This is a bit harsh. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just trying to get my point across. I went out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take a, take a chill pill, Eric. Just relax. It's okay. We're going to get it done. So I'm not immune, I'm not immune to, to, to the rebuke of the Lord either. But if we all in this together and we have a vision and a goal and a process, man, can you imagine what would happen if like just 12 people decided to get fired up for Jesus and, and said, you know what? We're just gonna stand for righteousness and we're gonna do it because we got no fear. We have the vision and the heart of God in this and we're just gonna move forward. Imagine what would happen. 
So no cruising, no cruise, no cruises, a working vessel. Are there times you get to rest? Of course, that's churches for the broken, right? But once you get healed, it's time to get some calluses on your hands and blisters on your feet. There is a time when you come in and we bandage you up and we, and we put things on your heart and, and, and we help you and, and, and you get through and we call you and we check on you and how you doing. But once you're healed and you love Jesus, listen, then you're part of the working team. I mean, don't find a rocking chair and start demanding blue drinks with funny umbrellas in them. It doesn't happen. Now, we might give you one when you first get here. See, see how your heart is and see, are you doing okay? And Oh, my husband left me. My, my kids died. My, my situation. Then, listen, we love you and we'll help you and we'll get you through that. Let's get you connected to some connect groups. Are, are, are you saved? Let's get you connected. Let's grow up. Let's get strong in the Lord, right? And once you got that, let, let's, let, let's, go, let's go tell other people about that. And you'll never be, you'll never, the enemy will never let you think you're smart enough or good enough to go tell anybody else about the love of Jesus because he wants to keep you down. But I'm so glad that when, 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 when Jesus took these disciples or, or when, he, when he changed anyone, even the woman, with the woman at the well, it was like, okay, you have a testimony. Now go tell people about your testimony. Just go tell people what Jesus did for you. He didn't send them off to Bible college, didn't send them off to seminary. He said, just go tell other people what Jesus did for you. That's how we start. So the the consumer mentality, which is pervasive in the body of Christ, uh, says, uh, what are you doing for me? Right? And and I battle this question. And I'm going to be another five minutes. Is that okay? Okay, good. Those are the kids. Thank you, dear. But that's the wrong question. It's the wrong picture. It's the wrong lesson. It's the wrong gospel. It's the wrong vessel. We're a working vessel. Okay. Physically, we've been talking about rebuilding these walls at Earthland Academy. Spiritually, though, in fact, it was in our devotional this morning, my wife and mine at home, uh, about how God restores. And I thought, how, how apropos um, that the Lord would bring that into our devotional this morning. He's a restorer. And I don't know if you've had or you're, you even have situations in your life right now. Some things you believe for restoration, and then they just died, and that's where they are, and they're dead. It just is what it is. But there may be something in your heart, in your life, that God says there's something that needs to be restored, a relationship or a a situation at home, or I don't know. I don't know what that is. But I want to encourage you with what I've said today, that God can look at a valley filled with dry bones and come to you and ask you this question. Can that valley live? Can those bones live? If Elijah said, no, I don't think so, and walked away, that would have been the end of the story. But Elijah said, only you know, Lord. What is he doing? I got to get a word from the Lord about this question. And if the Lord says, no, I'm just showing you a bunch of dead bones to remind you don't do X, Y, and Z, then okay. Then I got my mission out of what I saw in the vision. But the Lord said, here's what I want you to do then. Breathe on those bones. He didn't tell him bring him back to life. That was step number 72 down the list. He said, just 
Just, just breathe on the bones. Prophesy to the wind from the east and the west. Just something simple. God says there's something to be restored in your life. And you know what I'm thinking? Some of you just need some joy. Because three years of pandemic has just wringed the joy right out of your life. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your health. You're worried about your grandma. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your finances. You're worried, 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 worried. And that's right where the enemy wants you to be is all worried. Just in a big old knot inside your heart about whatever. And I just want to step up in the spirit realm, take a sharp needle to that balloon and just go, just pop it. Now you can take a deep breath and you go, okay. Hasn't changed the circumstances, but now I have an internal persuasion of my eternal destination. So no matter what happens in my environment, I can say it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. What's going to happen with your job? I, I mean, what's going to happen in the medical field? And what's going to happen with your, your, your finances? And, and what about that bankruptcy and your neighbor? Oh my gosh. And then your boss. And then, then your kids are crazy. And your how? It is well with my soul. When I get all the information, I'll make it, I'll get, get on my knees. I'll hear from the Lord. I maybe even get out a little tile and I'll put a date and a time as I've done countless times, countless times, countless times, countless times, countless times. The word, the word of the Lord comes, boom, write that down. And you'll be, on my day when I die and someone preaches from this Bible, it's going to be filled with dates and promises. That's, I know that I know that I know that I know that is true because I was on my knees that day. God said, that's the deal. Okay, boom. Do I have to go back and check? I'm occasionally I might. Will the devil try to swim me? Sure. But I've got just like, oh my goodness. You may not know. <clears throat> These rocks were put here the first Sunday we came into this building, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel because the tribes, when they crossed the Jordan River, each leader from the tribe took a stone from the river and they built an altar to remind their children to go back to the river and look at that pile of stones because that was the day mom and dad crossed the Jordan for you. So this may not be anything other than a, a, a very inexpensive decoration for you, but for me, this is one of those things. I remember three years ago when we had our first service in here. This is a temporary monument, ladies and gentlemen. But it reminds me of that day. And there'll be something on that day when we step foot in our, in our new property. But listen, you've got to know that you know that you know God has told you something. And when you do, nothing will dissuade you from that. There is restoration for your family. There's restoration for your home. There's restoration for your health. Just stand on the promise. And even if it doesn't work out like you think it should work out, you will have known that God told you and you did what he told you to do. Amen? All right, stand up with us, please. Total restored health for you, David. Total restored health for you, Christy. Anybody else need restoration in their bodies, health and healing? Lord, we just pray for health and healing now. Total restoration. We write this day and this time right now down on the tablet of our heart, thanking you that you, you made a decree. And we declare it. Re restoration in your home, 
relationship with your kids. It's possible. The Lord says, can this valley of dry bones live? Now you might have enough faith to say, yes, Lord, it can. But for people weak in their faith like me and many others, we just say, Lord, what do you think? Is it for me today? When you hear the Lord say yes, you just do the next thing. You make that phone call, you write that letter. You shake that hand, you reach out and you give them a hug. You forget about, you don't necessarily forget about, but you put it behind you and say, today's a new day. Today's a new day. So Father, I pray that the restoration that you've begun in all of our lives would be accomplished in the spirit realm and we'd see it by faith today. For those, Lord, who are away from you right now, may they be restored like the prodigal coming home. If you're ready to come home and be restored as a child of God, just lift your hand to heaven right now. Just lift your hand to heaven. Here we are, here we are Lord, coming home. Gosh, we messed it up so bad. <laughs> but here we are. We're going to do it again. We're going to try again with your help. Thank you. Thank you for this day of restoration in our lives. May the hope that we have in you, may the strength that we find through the power of your spirit, and may the love that has come to us by your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, be upon us. To live a life for you, to connect, to grow, and ultimately go into the harvest field with the good news. And now may the peace of God that passes your human understanding, may that peace guard your heart today, guard your family, keep you healthy and strong, serving and loving him until he comes or he calls for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.